Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Tech Talk. Today, it's actually just going to be me. Gabe is currently not here. He's doing something fantastic and not fun for him, meaning sick. And so I'm hanging out with whoever we are interviewing, and they are amazing. We are doing a someone from the class of 2010, meaning he was here for the first two years of Academy. So you're going to hear a little bit about that if you stay on, as well as we're doing interviewing someone from the class of 2015 and hearing a lot about Cleveland and our own productions and theater right around where we are. Hope you listen in. Hello, Luke. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Atlas. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. All right. I've got some questions for you because that's what we do. You were part of the class of 2010. And obviously, to everyone now, that seems like ages ago. So how was... I know. Exactly. <laughs> the whole shock on your face when I said that. I almost said no to going on this podcast because someday you're going to be 30. And once you turn 30, everything makes you feel old. <laughs> Overnight, and you want to avoid as best you can everything that makes you feel old. So you don't want to listen to the radio. You don't want to go online. You just want to hide. And you're looking at someone <laughs> who is directly in your position in 2010. Yeah, but 2010, I mean, that was the inaugural. That was like the first graduating class of the Academy, I think. Mm -hmm. How so it was, was completely that? New. It was wild. I mean, it, I'll tell you this. So, it, I mean, like the Excel Tech program that that the Academy is part of, like all the other programs from what I remember, it was like you could go and study to be an electrician. You could go to cosmetology school. Basically, the idea was it was like if you're in high school, if you're not thinking that college is for you, let's let you get a head start on like learning a trade, something that you can just transition into right out of high school so you can start making some money. And then there were all the theater kids, <laughs> you know, where basically you're, you're not setting us up to make any kind of money at all, are you? Uh, so we were kind of like the black sheep program, it seemed like. But no, it was, it was really exciting. It was definitely a time where the Academy was kind of figuring out what it wanted to be, you know? Uh, but it was an exciting time. The last show that we did at Academy was John Proctor's The Villain. And if you've never heard about yeah. that, oh, have you heard about it? Yes, I have. I have not seen it or read it, but, mm -hmm. but I'm aware of it. Yeah. So the underlying thought process is that there's a bunch of students reading The Crucible. And you were in our first production of Crucible at Academy. How was yeah. doing theater at Academy while it was still starting up, having everything still completely everywhere and be able to put on a show like The Crucible? Well, I mean, what was so incredible about the Academy is that prior to that, I mean, when you're a young person and you're involved in theater, mostly what you're going to be doing is, you know, musical theater like Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, stuff like that. There's nothing wrong with something like Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat or Little Shop of Horrors, but it's not the most substantial piece of theater that you could be working on. And so to start at the Academy where Tom Fulton has us working on like, you know, Chekhov plays, we did the Three Sisters also. And uh, The Crucible, which I think and a lot of people think is that's like one of the the greatest American plays that that you could work on. So it was definitely a different beast from most of what I had worked on before. But it was really rewarding. I mean, it's a huge cast. The Crucible has a huge cast. So everybody in our class was involved in it. And my my memory of working on those shows is that, you know, we were basically at the academy all day for school. And then after school, we would stay all night to work on the plays. So we basically lived at the Academy. And I remember it almost felt like a big sleepover that never ended. You know, I'm sure it's the same way now. You're like, there. I don't know if you, if you rehearse after school or if you're rehearsing during the day. 
But yeah, I felt like I never left that place. <laughs> we rehearse after school and I actually go to yeah. Academy's homeschool. So I'm here from bright and early in the morning until around 9 p.m. After, at the end of rehearsal. And then I take people home if they can't yeah. drive and I'll get home at like 10 and do my homework. That's the way that it was. I mean, we basically we basically lived there, you know, and if we were lucky to sneak away to like yours truly or like the CBS over there to get a can of Pringles so we could eat. But no, it was just a great time. I mean, we were just a bunch of young people who were just excited to be there and to work on a great play. That's actually amazing because a lot of us still feel like that because it's home to a lot of us still. So it still has kept that feeling to all the theater kids of going, this is where I need to stay. This is what I want to do. And I'm I'm so glad it yeah, started that from that. Theater. Like started from right there. That's so interesting. Um, so I was doing a couple background checks on some people that we were going to be talking to. And I found that you co-founded your own theater company? Yeah, so me... I've been in New York for about 10 years now, and my girlfriend, who I met when I was studying here at Circle in the Square, and then later on, we've continued to study with an acting teacher that we met there. Yeah, she and I started a theater company. I mean, that's the thing that, that's the thing that everybody who comes to New York does. You know what I mean? If you move to New York to be an actor, at one point or another, you're going you're gonna to start a theater company. Partly because, you know, you get kind of sick of waiting around for somebody to ask you to come and work on a play. You get sick of waiting for people to give you a job. But partly also because you end up meeting people who you just want to work with. And that was really the idea. The thing was, is that my girlfriend and I are both actors, but we had never really gotten the chance to act together. You know, when we were in school together, we would, you know, work in our scene study class. We would always work on our little scenes together. But then once we had graduated, we, we really wanted, you know, we really want to do a play together. So we had found uh, a play that we both really liked. It's this play called Everything Will Be Different by a guy named Mark Schultz. It's just this crazy play. And we had a notion that we wanted to do it. And we thought, well, all right, let's just do it. So that's what we did. And putting on a play, I mean, it's hard enough to put on a play in Cleveland. Putting on a play in New York is a little bit like buying a house or having a baby. <laughs> like, it, it was crazy. It was, it was a, a kind of full body, all hands on deck investment. But fortunately, you know, we had friends who we wanted to work with and who wanted to work with us. And they were just excited to to come together to put on this play. And somehow, you know, with a wing and a prayer, we were able to do it. And so we thought, well, are there any other plays that we wanted to do? So we did uh, The Crucible was the last thing that we did before the pandemic. We uh, did some original one acts. There are some playwrights that I know from Cleveland, actually, who are great playwrights and they've got wonderful plays. Well, hey, let's just, let's put them on. We would just put them on wherever we could wherever we could think to do it. Like we, we did some, some original one acts in a garage in Brooklyn. And so what? Like there's room for people to stand around. There's an, a bathroom that's operable maybe. So that's a great place to do a play. If there's room, there's an audience. That's the thing. You just want to make sure that there's room for people to stand or ideally sit. And you, you want to, if you don't skimp on the toilet, you just want to make sure that there's a bathroom. People got to go when they got to go. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> With that, because you're talking about connecting between Cleveland and connecting to New York, what are some of the differences between the industries between Cleveland and New York, other than the obvious? They're two different places. It's pretty different. Here's the thing. I thought when I was going to move to New York, this is the mecca of theater in America. I am going to move here. There are going to be all these theater companies that you can get involved in. You won't be able to look both ways crossing the street without seeing five or six bands of intrepid actors who are putting on their plays and you can come and be a part of that. There's just got to be theater, theater, theater. It's not really the case. It's not really the case because so much of the theater uh, in New York is 
theater that's not going to be immediately accessible to you to be involved in when you first move here, unless you're insanely lucky and you've got a great agent or you're beautiful and gorgeous and people are just going to die unless they put you in their play on Broadway. The, the thing that surprised me the most is that there, there just wasn't as much theater happening kind of on the ground or on the street as I thought there was going to be. You know what I mean? That was mm-hmm. part of the reason why we started our own theater company. Because we kind of looked around and we, there, you meet all these people who are actors, all these people who are studying, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of just waiting around for something to happen. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Whereas in Cleveland, theater is, is much more immediately accessible to you. If you're somebody in Cleveland and you want to be in a play, you're an actor, it's going to be pretty easy for you to find something that you can get involved with. There are a lot of fantastic opportunities in New York I found to study, which was the most important thing for me. My senses is a little bit different in Cleveland now, but when I was a young person in Cleveland, there weren't very many opportunities there to really study. That's what was so great about the academy. There wasn't really anything quite like that. And then when you come to New York, I mean, there's tons of places you can you can find yourself where you're really able to focus on honing your craft in a committed way. So for me, I would say that that's really been the two big differences. If you are somebody who's an actor in New York City, you're either going to have to be grinding it out in a really committed way, hustle, 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 to be trying to get those those acting opportunities, which are hard to come by because it's very competitive. Whereas in Cleveland, those opportunities are going to be much more accessible to you. There's a lot of theater and it's easier to get yourself involved in things. Whereas in New York, you have to make your own opportunities a little bit. I think a lot of us here at Academy are just like, go to the big cities. There'll be a ton of places. There'll be a ton of places to go, a ton of places to see, be a part of a lot of things. And I think that with that perspective of there's places to study, but it, unless you have the connections and already made areas of, oh, they know you, they know what's going on. It's very difficult, I would say, to make a huge name for yourself. Yeah. I mean, it can be difficult. I would never want to tell a young person who wants to be an actor not to go to New York City. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a great place to be. It's a great place to go even just once if you want to be an actor. But it's all just about what do you want? Where do you see yourself? Where do you really want to be? And that can change over the course of your, over the course of your life as an actor. What you want when you're 20 may not be the thing that you want for yourself when you're 30. It is hard to make it as an actor in New York. Uh, it's hard to make it as an actor anywhere. It's not impossible. And there are people who, plenty of people who have come out of the Academy who have been at Broadway, they've been on TV. There are other people you hear less about. They're working around the country regionally. Mm-hmm. There are people who end up teaching. You never know where you're going to end up. Your vision for yourself is going to change. Guarantee you it's going to change. But yeah, absolutely. You know, I've lived in New York for about 10 years now, but I'm always looking for opportunities to come back to Cleveland to get involved in places there. Always be open. Yeah. This is really funny to me. So I was doing background checks, as I said, meaning Instagram. And so you, sir, have the most terrifying profile picture I have ever seen. On Instagram? On Instagram. You have never posted, but... Okay. <laughs> it is you with a puppet on your hand and you are completely terrified of the puppet on your hand. So here's the thing is that <laughs> I have I have my I have my professional quote unquote Instagram and then I have my just private life Instagram. <laughs> I've never put anything on that professional Instagram. <laughs> I started that Instagram where I thought here's where I'll put all of my actor crap. And then I never post anything to it. But yeah, no, that is. That's hand to God at Obama Theater. That's what Ben and I worked on together. Yeah. <laughs> it is absolutely terrifying. <laughs> okay. 
we ask this question to everyone who comes on the show. And last year, the two seniors had a question they would ask every single person they would interview. And this is mine and Gabe's. And I feel that it's necessary because Spotify Wrapped just came out. And so a lot of people are talking about what's their top artist? What song have they listened to the most? What is your current favorite artist or song or what's been on repeat for the past few months for you? Musicians, you mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, so I'm, you know, I was about to say that I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I'm not embarrassed to admit it. Um, so my my girlfriend converted me in a major way to Taylor Swift. Ooh. I am such sorry. People want to hate on her. <laughs> and I used to be a hater. I used to hate Taylor Swift. I have no idea why now when I listen to her now, I think she's so incredible. The so power. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. She obviously had a pretty big year. The power of women. But what I am a little embarrassed to admit, and I'll share this on the podcast. Um, so I, I recently, I was in Cleveland uh, this past weekend because I'm, I'm doing something with uh, a theater company called Seat of the Pants in Cleveland coming up next spring. And Seat of the Pants works a little bit differently than a lot of other theaters where, you know, like most of the, of the regional plays that I've done this year, you were lucky if you had two weeks of rehearsal. You get two weeks and that's it. Seat of the Pants likes to rehearse for four months. So they do once a week for eight weeks and then uh, five times a week starts like, I don't know, five or six weeks before the play opens. All that to say, I was there this past Monday to, to do a rehearsal with them. So I'm, I'm hanging out with my family. My family all, I don't know what happened to them. They all love that mainstream country music mm. that we all hate you know where the dudes are just singing about their trucks mm-hmm. and that stuff i mean it starts to wear it starts to wear you down so every time i go and see them at, at first like i'm like can you turn this crap off oh my god i can't stand any more of it and then by the end of the week i'm like Heck yeah. turn that up i'm the same way my sister is an avid country listener I hated it every morning before I could drive. She had to drive me. She would play it every morning. It wore you down. It's terrible. It wears you down. Yeah. It wears you down. Then I'm on the plane back to New York listening. And I hope that nobody, I hope nobody notices what I'm listening to. I hope no one looks (laughs) over my shoulder and sees that I'm listening to a country song. So I brought up Crucible earlier. And as we are currently at the Academy. What is one of your favorite memories from Academy, from Three Sisters, from Crucible, from any of the productions that you did here? There are two things that stand out in my mind. And one is just sort of a silly, ridiculous memory that I have. And, and one is something a little more sentimental that stayed with me in the years since. But I do remember very early on, and it became different. My sense is that it became very different as it went on, where they they started bringing in more teachers. But at the beginning, it was mostly just you and Tom. You would just spend all day with Tom Fulton. And I remember one day very early on in the black box space, back before it had been remodeled, it was basically just like a little chair. Before gym. it was black. Before it was an actual black box. Before it was black. You couldn't even call it a theater back then, okay? (laughs) It was like a little... We would come in there like, are we going to play dodgeball? Like, what are we doing here? But I remember remember Tom Fulton sat us all around and he was going to give us his little acting lesson for the day. And uh, it was going to be about intentions. Acting with intentions. Now, keep in mind, we had only known Tom for like a couple of days, all right? (laughs) Who is this guy? Who's this like old wizard that we've been hanging out with. And I remember he sat down and he had a pencil and he picked the pencil up and he said, a pencil. Anybody can pick up a pencil. But what if the pencil were filled with poison? And then he just started to act like he was holding a pencil filled with poison. We were all sitting there like, what on earth is this dude? (laughs) 
<laughs> but I'll never forget this performance that Tom gave to us in that little room at like 10 a.m. on a Tuesday, holding a pencil as if it were filled with poison. I've never forgotten that. It was like one of the greatest acting moments that I've ever seen. That sounds like very much like one of our teachers, uh, Abe, who will do some of the most outlandish reactions to our acting. And so I have multiple videos of him, not the acting that's happening, but of him reacting to the acting. And it's hilarious. There were a lot of unintentionally funny moments with Tom Fulton back then. But the other thing that I remembered is, so we used to do, and, and maybe y'all still do this, but at, at the end of the year, we would do our senior projects where basically if we wanted to, we would get the opportunity to direct something and we could put it up in the black box. Uh, and I, uh, at the time that, that I was at the Academy, uh, I was there with um, my friend Olivia Fine, uh, who was an actor in Cleveland at the time. And for her graduating year, she uh, wrote an original play that she and I did together that was kind of a reimagining of um, the John Gardner novel Grendel from the Beowulf myth. Mm -hmm. She wrote this really beautiful play, kind of retooling that. And we did that together. And then it was, I was going to graduate the next year. And uh, I wanted to direct Jesus Christ Superstar which sounds a little absurd, but that's what I wanted to do because I loved that musical and I kind of had a vision for how we could do it. And so she actually came back, even though she had graduated the year before, to direct it with me. We directed it together. Well, Jesus Christ Superstar is a huge undertaking. Um, huger still if you're like a senior in high school with no money and it requires this big orchestra and it's got a huge cast um, but somehow it all came together. It was a very difficult experience, though, doing it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like we spilled, we spilled a lot of blood in that little black box. <laughs> and I just remember at the end of it, after we had our opening night or whatever, and, and the entire time, Tom was supportive, but he was a little like, are you sure that this is what you want to do? Like, why don't mm -hmm. you just pick a two-person show and do that? Jesus Christ, superstar, really? But I just remember he came up to us after the opening night, and he just took us aside and he just said, you know, you two, there are dangerous little directors in you. <laughs> and to me, that was, just, that was just the nicest thing that anybody had ever said to me. And for him to say that to us, I've just held on to that, you mm -hmm. know, and whenever I'm, whenever, you know, as I've gone on to direct other things at Hunger Theater, or even just when I'm acting in a play and I'm, and I'm having... I'm having a hard time. Something's not quite right. I do just hear Tom's voice in my head. You know, there's a dangerous little director in you. There's a dangerous little wily artist in you that you can trust. Mm -hmm. And that's carried me through like so many difficult artistic experiences that I've had since. <laughs> that's amazing. I always think yeah. about dangerous directors who always a story with those because they're like the most creative you've ever seen. And they're so interesting to interact with and so amazing to talk to because they have all these ideas yeah. that are so outlandish that you think are like, oh, those will never happen. Those will never be able to be put on. And then they do. And it's just kismet. It's amazing to see. I've seen a few of those directors in those shows and it's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Well, it was definitely an outrageous production of... <laughs> star in that little black box <laughs> <laughs> so we also do this for every person that comes on you have to do a shameless plug on whatever you want to be put to the front a instagram a facebook a theater production a theater company anything that you want to put out there into the world well, I'll tell you this. I mean, our director and the artistic director of Steve in the Pants will fire me if I don't plug <laughs> the show that we're doing. And Seat of the Pants. Um, no, so Seat of the Pants is this really awesome theater company in Cleveland. The artistic director is this really great actor and director named Craig Joseph. Uh, he works in the literary department at Cleveland Playhouse, but he's an intrepid guy and he's got his own theater company besides. It's called Seat of the Pants. 
Uh, the work that they do is rooted in the Michael Chekhov technique of acting. I don't know if you do any of that at the Academy, um, but they like to rehearse for four months, which is crazy. I remember when I was at the Academy, Tom told us about this production of King Lear that he directed, where we rehearsed it for six months. And we were all like, whoa, six months? That's crazy, man. Imagine that. Well, Seat of the Pants does something similar, and they've got this play coming up next spring. It opens in March, I think. I should probably know because I'm acting in it. Uh, play's called Bucket Leipzig. And uh, I won't bore you with too many details about the show. I'll just say it's an uproarious comedy uh, about musicians in Germany in the 1700s who wish that they were Bach, but they're not. Uh, but it's got a great cast, and I think it's going to be pretty cool. So keep an eye out for that. I think all musicians wish they were some kind of Bach, some kind of prodigy. It was lovely talking to you. It's so good to talk to you all, too. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. That was amazing, Luke. Now we have our second person today, Namdi Apala, who was a senior of the class of 2015. Hello. Hi. You are our first in-person really? interview. Wow. Everyone else <laughs> has been Zoom. So <laughs> don't say to them, but I think... The trip was worth it for you to be here. Oh, yes. It's always great to go down memory lane. <laughs> exactly. Talking about memory lane, <laughs> I heard from a little bird that you showed up to one of Ben's immersive shows with two missing teeth. Yes. Yes. This is true. <laughs> uh, as a matter of fact, um, it's actually this funny story behind the missing teeth. Um, during my time at Cleveland Playhouse and like my earlier years, I... I would just pretty much try to work any capacity at a Cleveland Playhouse. And ironically, this was a summer camp. We go to a skating rink. And <laughs> I do fine at first. You know, like, <laughs> I'm skating with the kids. I'm having the time of my life. And then uh, it's time to give the kids a 10-minute warning. So they're like, hey, Namdi, uh, do you mind going out to give the kids a 10-minute warning? I'm like, oh, no problem. As soon as I step back onto the, the hardwood, I land flat on my face. First off, it goes dead silent. You can hear a pin drop, float, anything. That is um, their warning. Everybody's like, oh. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm all right. And then I come up and then like, there's like holes in my, my teeth. So, <laughs> so shortly after that, um, had to have uh, dental surgery and have those removed. And like, I'm still honestly doing some dental work, really expensive dental work, I won't lie. But well, most dental work the is. <laughs> World of theater, you got to have your teeth. So. <laughs> You know, I'm, I've, I've, been, I've been pushing for it. But yes, uh, during that time, I was still still kind of figuring out how I was going to uh, resolve those dental issues. And I think actually at the time I was I was, in, I was switching in and out of um, metal dentures, which mm -hmm. are extremely painful. Not recommended. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, uh, I showed up. Yeah, I was I was I did. I did. Um, I believe that was that was uh, Dreamwalkers. I did Dreamwalkers missing a couple of teeth on the front. Did your coworkers feel so bad for making you go do the ten minute warning? <laughs> Till this day, <laughs> honestly, I think it's partly why why I was brought up to a certain sense. <laughs> Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why I added that up. Who knows? <laughs> no, um, no. Genuinely though, um, you know, it was a worthy sacrifice for the for the sake of education. You know, <laughs> I <I'll> say <laughs> taught the kids a lesson of how expensive teeth are. <laughs> And how much balance is appreciated. Oh, yes. Balance is key. <laughs> Fundamentals of balance is even more important. Oof. Last month, you were in a show called This Island. And that show references Antigone a lot. <laughs> Did it give you, like, some sort of, like, anxiety or adrenaline trying to portray correctly Antigone as well as This Island? Be able to quote it correctly and all that kind of stuff? All right. So, the fun part about The Island. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> What a production. We got that done in a month. Like, oh. honestly, less than a month. Yeah, it was like a, like nearly a three-week process. Because yeah. I had just finished, um, I finished a show at uh, Cleveland Public Theater, Reverie Oracle, which is actually more like, uh, more devised, uh, grotesque work. So I go right out of that. It's funny because we were barefooted and everything was like pretty much really, really base. You know, we're all wearing white. And uh, essentially the way, the way that show went was... We didn't know what we were going to do every night. Like, we knew our lines. We knew, like, all right, there's a chance we're going to do a certain action or we're going to be blindfolded or we're going to be in a tub of water. <laughs> but at the end of the day, like, we really couldn't anticipate much. We just 
once we knew we had a task, we did that task. So then I went I go from that process to more of a traditional rehearsal process. And it's my, my first two-hander as well. So um, I also had to work in dialect. <laughs> mm. And the good news was we speak in a South African dialect, which I could merge my um, prior knowledge of Afrikaans. Mm -hmm. So I just, I incorporated that. And then on top of that, there was a lot of experience. So I'm Nigerian. I mm -hmm. actually, at one point in my youth, I went to school. I went to a school in the boarding school in uh, West Africa. And there's a lot of parallels from that environment that set up in the island at the, this uh, South African prison during the 70s, during uh, Mandela's imprisonment. So I essentially kind of got a little, little sneak peek already. Like I kind of had a, had a vision for what I was going for, but then actually like taking the month to first off digest the lines, digest the dialect, because I had used that dialect in my probably like 12 years prior, but this was my first time like rehashing that out and mm -hmm. like actually going to the basics. And I, I won't lie, I had a whole lot of anxiety about that because then we had South Africans coming in to like fact check oh, our accents. Yeah. And like only person I had as a reference really was my dad. <laughs> and he's Nigerian, he's mm -hmm. not South African. So there was a chance that I could be off, but then the first run through where some, a South African heard heard me. They they said, "Oh, that's actually phenomenal. Keep going. You're on the right track." So even then, though, still I was nervous. I was yeah. like, "Okay, I'm on the right track." But what does that mean? Like, how close am I on the track? Exactly. And do I go deeper, or do I do I keep it on this pace? Yeah. You know. With that being said, I had to I had to first process the character of Winston and what he's going through because uh, a little background for people who don't know about the island. First off, the play is written in a combination from Winston and Shona, John Connie. And um, Athu Fulgard, it's really a collaboration. It's really Winston, Winston and Shona and John Connie really just kind of chiming back and forth for about an hour. And the, the characters are John and Winston, ironically. So I got to play Winston. Winston's character, he's very... The idea for this production, this production in particular, was that there was an age gap. But normally, there's not an age gap. Normally, the same... The actors are kind of in the same age, age group while they're in prison. So it's a direct, like a direct comparison. So Winston's character, he burns his passbook in front of a, a government official and is sentenced to life in prison. Mm -hmm. We don't get much information about, about John's um, sentence, but we just know that John is sentenced for 10 years versus Winston's life. However, at the time, in the environment, it feels like they're serving the same sentence. They don't know mm -hmm. what they expect, the way they're getting tortured. So it is John's then idea to put on a production of Antigone. And the idea is to, to inspire the prisoners to not be broken in spirit mm -hmm. and it starts really with with winston because winston from the jump of the production he's having trouble adapting to the environment even three years in he's still being very defiant he's still very much challenging authority and he's because of that he's getting him and john in a lot of trouble mm -hmm. and john's like hey i need you to like be more obedient and i'm like no I, I don't believe in that. I'm I'm against the like I'm I'm I am the movement, you mm -hmm. know. But he's like, there's different ways to be a part of the movement. Yeah. So where Tigany comes into play, and as, honestly, it's the basis of the play because it's it's a lot of it's about John trying to convince Winston to play Antigone that it's more than just it's more than just wearing a wig, mm -hmm. boobs, and a dress. Yeah. <laughs> But Winston can't get over it. Winston's like, I don't like, want to wear this damn dress. I'm not a woman. Please yeah. don't. Yeah. So at one point, um, at one point, John, after the argument, John gets called by an official. So he leaves for a bit. Winston monologues about how he's not going to do it, about like he he prided himself on the reason why he was he was uh, incarcerated in the first place. Mm -hmm. And he feels like he's, he's deviating from the purpose. So by the time John comes back, we find out that John is actually going to get released in three months while Winston is facing a lifetime in prison. Mm -hmm. So then the, the torture sets in, right? And now that begins to break um, Winston down, which leads to the whole purpose of the Antigone play, um, with the play within a play. After they have their little, their little bout, I won't get too much into it. They'll just, I'll just say we obviously have the climax moment and then there's a re resolution where a couple more days pass and Winston's now willing to play Antigone. Because mm -hmm. he realizes John is his his best friend and his like, rock, yeah. And he even has these impactful lines. It says, "Forget me, because I'm going to forget you." And what that line really means is, I have to forget you. If I don't forget you, it's going to torture me. Now, everyone that's trying to break me, it makes it that much easier for them. 
Mm-hmm. But if I just forget you, I'm all right. And if the next person comes and I have a great relationship with them and I forget them again, that's good too. I can't let this break me. And essentially, and at the end of the play, I, I come out and, uh, you know, fully dressed as Antigone, embodying the character. And I've even mastered the walk. Got a lot of shoulder, a lot of hip movement. So for then, the direction, the idea of the direction was that, you know, I'm still going to be very much Winston because Winston's very still against it. Mm -hmm. So I don't, it's not so much pressure to like sound or really behave like Antigone. It's just the embodying the the purpose of who Antigone is. And using my performance to then inspire the other prisoners who also might be demoralized at this point. I think at the end of the play for, for our production, it was very successful. I really rile up the rest of the prisoners and I also renew my sense of purpose, mm-hmm. even if John is actually getting out. Cause we're at, it's, it's also made clear in the play that we don't actually know if John's getting out or not. Mm. We don't know if this is just another ploy of torture. Yeah. So that Antigone, and I, I won't lie, that was probably the hardest part because I had to master John. And then after that, I had to figure out, okay, well, how would John play Antigone? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I played around with the voice. I was like, uh, maybe, maybe I don't have to pitch my voice high. But maybe there's some kind of like cadence in my voice, some kind of like softness, some kind of also righteousness, knowing that like I am doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Because then I monologue about how I had every right to bury my brother. Yeah. And that Creon's in the wrong here. And I'm right with God, regardless of what happens here. And that's essentially the message to the prisoners. It's mm-hmm. like, you know why you were arrested. You're not a criminal. You know you're not a criminal. You know you did the right thing. So stick by your purpose. Just because something bad happened to you, don't regret the good thing that you did. Mm-hmm. You, what you did is a, it's a horrible sacrifice, but essentially for the greater good. <laughs> yeah. I really like that. It's that Winston is trying to show like how John would play Antigone as well as him, mm-hmm. where it's multiple different perspectives put through him, mm-hmm. where he's trying to show everyone this is who all of you are. This is who I am. This is who John is. This is all of us. That's he, really interesting. Yeah, and even even if I'm wearing boobs <laughs> and, a, and a wig, we are all the same. That's the purpose. It's like if, if it can happen to Antigone, it can happen to any one of mm-hmm. us. So that validates our realities. Yeah, you know? so, that's really interesting. Yeah, and it was very much, it was such a deep production for me. It was one of those productions where you had to have like the, the tap in and tap out yeah. pres- process, double checking before we even get into the performances because there were also mm-hmm. things such as uh, like, on the lines of slave labor and whippings. And mm-hmm. it were just, you know, obviously we had to, we had to handle it very, very delicately. Um, and like, there's a scene, pretty much the, the play begins with um, a shoveling scene. Mm-hmm. So we're sent out to the beach and we're digging up a hole. We're just told to dig up a hole. After we dig up a hole and we, we put all our dirt, all our sand into a wheelbarrow, we're then asked to move the wheelbarrow. And as we're moving the wheelbarrow, we see a hole and they're telling us to fill that hole. So when we fill that hole and then, we get told to move back to where we were and continue our work. We get back to our individual spots where our holes were, and we realize the other man filled each other, filled the other man's hole. Mm. So the labor task here is that we're just digging up holes just for the other man to fill it back and forth. And that probably went on. That scene goes on for like the first twelve minutes. Like there's no lines. We just go. And we, we we come out. First off, we come out and we're we're like looking at the sun. We're appreciating it because we don't often see mm-hmm. things like this, like the ocean, the sun. And then we're thrown straight into labor. The torture starts. Yeah. And it sounds kind of like Sisyphus, just pushing and pushing the rock up the hill and mm-hmm. it just falls straight back down. Yeah. So it's just, it's like essentially at the end of the day, when you look back at what you've done, it feels like you've done nothing. Yeah. But you, you busted your behind for it. Exactly. <laughs> and then you keep doing it. Yes. On repeat. <laughs> and so I had to also... Kind of, I had to I had to play the build of that well because I once again like with the tap in tap out process I don't want to like because one other thing I could relate was my the trauma experience that I had while I was in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Um, there were certain things that were very traumatic, and there were certain things that I could immediately relate to this play, and I had to like make sure I wasn't connecting myself too deeply with that. But mm-hmm. on the same note, I was making it real for the audience. Yeah. So that was probably one of the biggest challenges as well. That's Along a huge thing we focus on at Academy is separating yourself from the character that you're playing in the show because it's incredibly, it can be incredibly damaging to yourself as well as your acting ability to disconnect. Yeah. And make sure that 
this character is just a character. Yeah. And, and you are a full-blown human being. And at the end of the day, that you can you can process that fully without having to be yeah. like, oh my goodness, what what am I doing? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> How is Cleveland Playhouse? Audition process, your rehearsal process. How is all of that? Well, I, I won't lie. I've, I've, I've done one show with Cleveland Playhouse so mm -hmm. far. Um, I'm like in the theater department, the, the, the theater education department. So yeah. I, I do kind of get to dabble with like filming things. But I think that's separate aside from like our actual like uh, theatrical process. What I will say, um, the, the one show I did get to do, unfortunately, was via, via Zoom. So didn't really get, I didn't get that, that, that exact uh, Playhouse experience. But um, still you know, completely it, valid because yeah. COVID. Yeah, so. no, and that, that, and that was the thing. Like, I feel like, I feel like the environment, like, because we, for starters, we have, we also have that, uh, we have the mid out, we have the mid out building for our rehearsal halls. Mm -hmm. I love, I love, love, love the rehearsal halls. I love the island rehearsal hall. I love the out cult rehearsal halls. At times I've been privileged enough to even be there for, for the all staffs. At times I've been there to, to help set up for board meetings. Like, and then in general, like, I, I another privilege I had was going to Cleveland State and being able to rehearse in Cleveland Playhouse spaces. Mm -hmm. and like, oh, it's, I would just say it's, 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 it's for me, so it's surreal every time because growing up, I didn't think that was something I could totally like be able to get access to. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the, um, the rehearsal process of the, the one show I did, um, it was the last days of Judas Iscariot. It was so, I, I would just say different. <laughs> like, you know, you'll work at a lot of theaters, you know, if you get the privilege, you'll, you'll kind of see how each theater varies and they all have that, like their own special quality. But like, I feel like with Cleveland Playhouse, it's, it just felt, I don't know, finer, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Like, not, not to like devalue any other experience I had. It just felt like it was very, very precise, very, mm -hmm. very, I don't know, very, very focused. Yeah. That makes sense. Like when we're, we're, we're in the halls, it's like, it's, maybe it's just easier to lock in because of the environment it's we're already seeing. Work. Yeah. And I even, um, every now and then I see, uh, see Dustin out, out there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I know he's doing a uh, fight choreography out there. Uh, he did fight choreography earlier this year for us for one uh, of our shows. Oh, that's crazy. Um, I probably got a lot of combat experience in the academy and then got out into the world and didn't have to do anything <laughs> combat-wise for like six years. <laughs> like the first time I did anything combat-wise was uh, I was actually, I did a show with uh, Sh uh, the Chagrin Arts Theater. Yeah. And we did, uh, we did Macbeth and I played Macduff, which I'm just going to say right now, time called. <laughs> I was in the academy. I'll never forget junior year. He's just, he's just, uh, he's you know, he's monologuing, and then like out of nowhere, he looks at me. He's like, "You, you're gonna play Macduff one day." <laughs> and I'm like, "What? First off, who the heck is Macduff?" <laughs> I have no you, idea what like, you are talking like, about, you old. They're man. gonna kill your family, <laughs> and you're gonna avenge them proudly. And I was just like, "Okay, I'm gonna have to read this uh, Macbeth thing." Uh, <laughs> Because at the time, they had actually just had put it on mm -hmm. prior to me uh, being at the Academy. Um, but yeah, no. Um, so that was like my first time in, like, since the Academy, yeah. uh, doing stage combat with a sword. And whew. Tom Fulton tells the future so often. It's terrifying. He's, a, he's like the magic eight ball of men. Exactly. <laughs> you just kind of like shake him. And then he goes, no, you're going to play this character. You're going to get a lead. You're going to do this. You're going to. And it actually happens. And literally, I'm just sitting, I'm just sitting on stage like, oh my goodness. <laughs> then we have this spring, you're going to be in a show called Requiem. Yes. Uh, when and how did the audition process for that go on? Because it's going to be in the spring. So is that March, April around there? Yeah. Um, so we, we open, I believe we're, op we're opening March 16th and we run all the way to April 7th. And our rehearsal process is going to get started in January, too. Okay. So we're going to have a lot of time with this. Um, and then also, uh, I found out also, um, uh, Peter Lawson Jones is going to be in it. Who just finished, um, he did a movie um, this past year with uh, Tom Hanks, A Man Amazing. Named Otto. If, you, um, if you're on Netflix, <laughs> a little plug for him. Um, but yeah, no, um, the audition process for Requiem, I'm going to be 100% transparent. I was invited. So Amazing. I, I, and I, I'm, I'm not going to lie either. Uh, it's probably been, it's been a minute since my last like audition. I yeah. feel like recently I've just been like continually asked to do projects mm -hmm. uh, from, from via either suggestions or people already have me in mind. Yeah. So that's, that's been like a blessing in itself. 
And I know we definitely we were casting. Uh, we were casting because we were looking for uh, North North African and and Middle Eastern actors for for this production in particular. Um, which I'm I'm really excited about. I won't lie. I don't have I don't have a whole lot much to say about it just yet because mm-hmm. I I haven't gotten a chance to like extremely deep dive. Yeah, I'm actually in the middle of um I'm doing um I have a, a little performance at Cleveland Public Theater right now. Ooh. It's called um. Very word seeds of mm-hmm. hope and it's about the the ongoing issues in uh ukraine yeah so it's it's a it's a ukrainian benefit and yeah i'm i'm real i've actually been really really excited it's been really really fun really excited work. i would love to hear more about that one yeah yeah that one it's funny because i'm gonna the second time this year i'm gonna play i'm gonna partially play a kid (laughs) (laughs) what adults love to do play kids in theater if there's anything i like to do it's shaving my beard and looking (laughs) like a teenager again (laughs) with very words seeds of hope and it's really there's no real like set of roles assigned we're just like all right actor one through five and then it's all text that we kind of share and we kind of tell the story together and then there's also singing, there's also dance, and then we'll break and there'll be videos to kind of give more deeper insight as to what's going on in Ukraine, how life has been there, like since everything's happened. And it's really, it's really nerve wracking. I won't lie. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, first off, for me, it was very, very educating to know like, oh my goodness, like there's another culture that that values like villages so deeply like mm-hmm. my culture val- values villages but then on the same note it's like when you find like when you, you get a little you hear details about things that are happening there are two things that are happening there it's really gut-wrenching because you're just like wow like this is not right yeah um i feel very sad about it but i'm also like happy we get to tell the story of it through theater mm-hmm. and with this cast too, it's been an amazing cast. We've been able to share a lot of laughs, but we also share a lot of tears, and we've all, like a lot of real conversations. And the mm-hmm. thing I love about this production right now is that at the end of every rehearsal, we have our we have this thing we call gifts of gratitude. So we go, we sit in the circle, and we 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 talk about who we're grateful for for this particular day and why. And I think it's a very very it's a very very great practice that I would love to at some point implement. I was about and, to say that's beautiful. Yeah. And I feel like it should be done more. You know, it's a yeah. great, it's good to end certain things off on a, on a good note, especially when we're dealing with such such heavy content. Mm-hmm. Just being completely genuine with each other goes, I'm grateful for this. It just sounds like Thanksgiving every day. Yeah, no, literally. And <laughs> it honestly creates such a, such a huge sense of appreciation mm-hmm. all around. Exactly. You know? That's beautiful. Since you went to Academy, do you have any advice for any of us? Yeah, I will say... Um, Take notes, pay attention, and follow your own story. One thing, and I'm not saying I don't have any regrets, but what I will say is that one thing I maybe wish I had done a little bit more was actually take pride in the the process of my journey. I didn't realize at the time how early in my career I was. You know, there was a point where I didn't know. I'm gonna be 100 percent transparent. When I auditioned for the academy, I signed up for the actor side and the tech side. I thought I got in for the tech side. So my first full year at the academy, I didn't audition for a single thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't think like, I didn't, not like I didn't think I wasn't allowed, but I was like, I don't like That's the audacity, not my thing. you know, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of actors that are really like, you know, poised right now and focused on getting a role. And I feel yeah. like I'm not quite there. I'm intrigued, but I, I don't know if I will long. And mm-hmm. because of that, I didn't audition for anything. And then... It was darker than moon auditions that just happened, and Tom had called me into his office, and he's like, "Namdi, you didn't audition for a single thing this year." He's calling you <laughs> out. It's like, why, why, why aren't you auditioning? <laughs> I was like, I didn't know, I didn't know I was allowed. He's like, of course you're allowed. <laughs> you're like one of our, own, you're like one of few guys here. You know, this you got to audition. <laughs> I had plans for you, man. You know, <laughs> McDuff. Like, yeah, no, it was it, McDuff. Yeah. <laughs> so. You know, and I, I, I'm really grateful for that conversation I did have with Tom because after that, it was just like, all right, starting next year, I'm busting my behind, I'm auditioning for everything. And I did. Mm-hmm. I did. I actually, the year prior, like my junior year as well, um, I was mainly as an athlete. I did track, football, basketball, the whole shebang, won championships and like all of them. Ooh. And then, yeah, the next year is like I'm being recruited by, by, the, by the coaches. They're like, you're coming back. And I'm like, ah. I'm a theater kid. I caught the theater bug. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, it's gonna. It's 
it's six months to a lifetime. I, <laughs> I wish something would change. It's just my bones are different Ooh, now. You know? So <laughs> I can't. But yeah, no, that in that year I did. We opened with West Side Story, and then um, we did the we did Arsenic No Lace. The we did the Ars Arsenic No Lace, where I I, I um I actually un understudy for uh for, for Jonathan. But that year, we also had the understudy show, a.k.a. what we like to call the senior improv show, the junior and senior improv show. Um, <laughs> I was like, Mitch, I think Mitchell was like, never again. <laughs> but it was it was great. You know, we had never, and I, one thing I would say, like, that was probably one of my favorite parts about that year was just like, then that's like theater in its essence, like theater in its essence, right? Mm -hmm. We we have the original cast. We were just like, all right, if we we have to stand in, we'll stand in. And uh, I was I was understudying uh, Adam Haas Hill at the time. And he would like never miss a day. So I would, <laughs> I would like very rarely be on, like be a stand in for him. Um, and then of course we have our, we get um, word of our um, actual performance date. And ooh, when I tell you there was, we, there was no rehearsal, like yeah. nothing, like nothing tech wise. We didn't have a tech week. We just, we were just like, all right, well, uh, we know how the show, we've seen the show. So we're just gonna go out and uh, wing it, and that was fa Mitchell's. That's a carbon copy, like the carbon example of um, of um, of, uh, of Mitchell's uh, Mitchell's uh, fake it till you make it. Because we <laughs> we faked the heck out of that one. So I never forget. I was I was I was Jonathan. Um, Matthew Taft was um, was uh, Doctor Einstein, and he was also in the actual production at the time playing o uh, Officer O'Hara. So he's he's messing around with two different accents at once, and I'll never forget that that particular day because once again, like costume wise, we weren't given anything. Yeah. So we we brought our own costumes, and then I had this pea coat. It was, you know, it, it was even big on me, and mm -hmm. I Matt's like he's much shorter than me, so <laughs> I gave him my giant pea coat, and it's but it was hilarious. It fit his character. We had like things like black. Like they, there was something that happened in blackout that was already like there is no cast. They they completely got it down. We didn't know what to do. We just <laughs> winged it. So there's this bit where we have to get a body through the windowsill, and we never rehearsed it, and it was in the dark. <laughs> so <laughs> that just sounds like running around and. <laughs> and it, there there was also the, there was there was a shoe was supposed to end up like uh, a downstate center, and Matt ended up. <laughs> I don't know how. I was just like, Matt, I don't know how to get the shoe off. I was just like, I'm going to figure something out. I was like, throw it over him. And then, like, lights come up. Shoes and racks are gone. I'm like, thank goodness. But, yeah, uh, then we closed that year. Well, we, well, not closed that year. Then I would go on to do Fantastic, and then we would close on with uh, Richard III, which was, whew, it was quite a the year of theater. But, like, honestly, <laughs> I would I would sacrifice sports all over again. Yeah. Because it was, it was, it definitely, it paid off in the biggest way. How was doing imagine. sports and theater at the same time? Painful. <laughs> Emotionally and physically painful. Uh, <laughs> that's why I was really glad to cut out the physically part. <laughs> you know, um, Just the emotionally still there. Yeah. And then after that, you know, th th theater became more, uh, like, I feel like emotionally healing. Because mm -hmm. like, it was like an environment where I felt welcomed. Not to say that I didn't feel welcome in a sport environment, but, you know, it's more of like, it's more of the population game in a sport environment. It's theater. all the outcasts together hanging out and being able to have fun with each other. And artistry at, at, at its best, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's that's when I realized then, like, Oh my goodness, I love theater. You know, I want to do this the rest of my life. Like Exactly. <laughs> we ask this question to everyone mm -hmm. and I feel that it is necessary because Spotify Wrapped just came out. Oh. <laughs> so, what is your current favorite artist, musician, favorite song that you've been listening to on repeat? Okay, so I listen to a lot of music. Mm -hmm. One that sticks <laughs> out to you. One that sticks out right now. I will say this. I will say my classic is always Stevie Wonder, Songs in the Key of Life. Understandable. And then I really just, the past couple of years, I've been in love with Black Pumas. Ooh. Mm -hmm. It's really, really good music. I love their live albums as well. And even like right now, right, right now, I'm really loving this Andre 2000 album. A lot of people were expecting him to rap and sing, but he just gets a flute and goes crazy. And I really... That's amazing. And it's... <laughs> it is amazing. It's its artistry at its finest. And honestly, I've been listening to it just as back... I won't say just background music, but like creative inspiration music. Mm -hmm. You know, when I'm like either going over some lines or I'm just in my head trying to creative write. Now I, I'm just kind of playing that, that most recent album. It's mm -hmm. really, really been really... Uh, 
really really good to listen to. I haven't gotten bored of it, and I think with certain classical sounds, it just it just it leaves you wondering the whole time. It yeah. leaves you thinking, and it keeps you motivated. But um, yeah, I and I, I obviously I, I enjoy Andre 2000's early work too. Hey Ah is an anthem that will last a lifetime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely, I will I will I will cap it by saying that uh, in addition to that, I I also do like produce my own music. Um, I I actually teach with through Cleveland Playhouse. I teach some musical production classes and creative writing classes, and I've actually. I'm like, I don't want to like make too much of a noise about it because it's like, ah, but I am working on an album. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's really, really going to be essentially compartments in my brain. <laughs> oh, that's and so interesting. I'm really, yeah, I'm really that's excited really about cool it. That's a really cool concept idea. Yeah, so I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm also partly working on a Christmas album with Brooke, but that's probably going to be more of like a like a maybe like a five to six track thing <laughs> mainly to support brooke i'm pretty much just going to be producing like the, the beat and then helping her write and and mm-hmm. actually sing her own songs and it's her first time doing it as well so i'm really really excited for her she's also going to be a requiem as well amazing <laughs> well, it was really cool to talk to you and to be able to talk about closer pl- places like cleveland because we are in ohio and a yes. lot of things are really far away from us <laughs> oh yeah lots it's amazing to talk to you about it. Thank you. It's it's, it's been an honor to, to to be a guest. Thank you so much. <laughs> come back here. It's I mean, looking at all these, <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness! Like my experience stopped. What? Yeah, yeah. Richard, Richard was my last show here. For everyone listening, we have all of the academy shows around the room of the posters, and so it's every single one from. 2010 until last year and so the shows that i have been in as well as the shows that everyone has been in is in this room and it's beautiful to just look around and see all the shows because we recently got a renovation so it's beautiful to look at all the past shows people have been in all right give this to everyone you got 10 15 seconds to do a shameless plug for anything instagram facebook X, which I don't like yeah. calling it. Yeah, I'm I'm more of a threads guy now. <laughs> Understandable. When, when that movement happened, I transitioned to. <laughs> <laughs> In any theater production, gotta pull out some spring production and talk about anything you want. All right. Well, yeah, kind of, kind of hit the, the 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 nail in the the head um, with <laughs> with Requiem. I was about to, I was gonna hype that up. Um, so yeah, I got I got Requiem coming up. Um, March 16th through April 7th. By the time, I think by the time this comes out, I would have already done uh, Barry Words, Seeds of Hope because it's tomorrow. Um, <laughs> yes, but, very much will be already. <laughs> but yeah, no, in general, I will, I will plug, I will plug CPT and C and uh, I'll plug CPT and CPH, you know, come out and see some shows. Uh, CPH, I have, uh, I know they have, once again, I think be done by the time, but um, Cleveland they, Playhouse. They just, they're finishing up Black Nativity this weekend. I'm actually going to go out and try to see it this weekend. But yeah, uh, come see Requiem, a great theater on the horizon. Um, and my Instagram is at uh, Wynamdi. I'm on threads, the same, same, um, same, same tag, I believe. And yeah, uh, just tune in. I might have some artistic content coming soon. Actually, Ooh. just had this little partnership with uh, Cleveland Public Theater, uh, me, Brooke, and a couple of other my couple of my other uh, artistic colleagues, we we actually just started a collective. So Amazing. we're in the process of getting some some theater um, in the works uh, through Cleveland Play Cleveland Public Theater. <laughs> we're getting some theater through uh, we're working on some theater through Cleveland Public Theater. Yay! <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm really really excited about that. I'm actually in the middle of <laughs> typing up a few projects. I'm working on like I'm working on like three different play scripts right now with, with <laughs> like four other people. And then on top of that, I'm I'm also kind of putting together a little series about being a theater educator. So that's amazing. Like Abbott Elementary style. So yeah. I'm really, really just trying to click on all cylinders in terms of uh, my, my artistic work. So everyone keep an eye out for that. Yes. <laughs> and then thank you. Thank you very much for having me today. Totally. It was lovely having you. All right. Thank you, Nomdi. Thank you, Luke, for both being able to talk to me today. Right now, we are getting in the Christmas time. 
So if you check out the podcast from last year, we have Christmas Carol. And so if you listen in on that, we'll be posting those links so that you guys get to listen in again. It's really interesting. I would know. I've listened to it multiple, multiple times. All right. And we have another show coming up for Academy in February called Tartuffe. It's an amazing play. And my Moliere, who is an amazing writer, and you guys should totally come and see it in February. It's going to be amazing. Thanks for coming to our Tech Talk. Bye.